Hi, I'm Randy Girosa from Motor Mania Media, and today we have... William Fisher. And I'm telling you, I, I, I saw uh, Bill at a car show, and I saw this pristine 1969 uh, Mustang Mach 1, and I thought, boy, I've got to get to know this owner. And what I love about this show is the story behind the story. So when we got together with Bill, he had all kinds of pictures and history behind his life and cars. So if we could, <laughs> <laughs> let's start with your first car. And here is Bill's first car. Can you tell me the make, the model, and the year, Bill, and how you received this, <laughs> <laughs> this pristine car? <laughs> uh, it, this, this is a 1960 four-door Corvair. And uh, my dad had gotten the car for me. Okay. Supposedly for me. Okay. But actually it was a family value because uh, at the time, three of us were going to a private high school and it was rather expensive for the bus and the timing and everything to go back and forth. So, so dad found a prudent way to get you there. Dad found the car. <laughs> Mom said no. I, she didn't want me to have the car. Okay. But anyway, it, so um, I was taking us back and forth to school. I also used uh, the car for, I played a lot of basketball, being very tall. Okay. And uh, went to a basketball game one weekend, and um, the guys didn't have a ride going back. Well, the Corvair is not a very uh, <laughs> weight-friendly car. So I, I had five guys besides myself in this Corvair. And about halfway home, uh, it was running funny. <laughs> um, so at your uh, age, it was running funny. Now you've yeah, kind of... Yeah, I'm going, something I didn't understand. So okay. I go home, tell Dad, I said, Dad, something wrong with the car. Well, what were you doing? I said, well, I took a bunch of guys home. He goes out to the car, he comes back in, he's really extremely mad. He said, you blew up the motor. <laughs> it wasn't made to haul that much weight. <laughs> so, so, you know, anyway, that, that's what started it. Um, Previous to that, though, there was one other incident that happened. Okay. Um, my, no, afterwards, I'm sorry. Uh, I was taking us all to school one morning, and the intersection where we lived had a funny on-ramp from a different street. And that on-ramp was halfway into the street. I'd, I'm not sure how to describe the intersection. Um, where it came in before the corner. Okay. So this was wintertime. Everybody was in the car. I'm coming up to the stop sign. I'm stopped at the stop sign, and here comes a car off this ramp. And he couldn't stop. He started sliding <laughs> in the snow. He hits the front corner of this car uh, and, and bent the doorpost, the driver's doorpost, and he hit me so hard. Oh, man. The worst part was he backs up and takes off. <laughs> So he didn't see if you so, were okay or anything? He just we said, were okay, and I, I didn't know what to do. I, I started chasing him with the car well, this, <laughs> in, in the wintertime. You know? <laughs> so, I never did catch the guy. Um, they, they did find the car later on. It was a guy in the, in the neighborhood. Oh, they did? They okay. did catch the guy so for that hit, has, hit and run. That has a good ending. But the car was shot after that. <laughs> All right, so... You know, what a wonderful thing a father did for his son, right? right? Right. And what great memories, a car that transported a son, his brothers to school, ended up with some, some great background <laughs> for, <laughs> for the future. And that's, that's what I love about this. So let's go on a timeline and tell me about this next car. 
Um, so I, after that, I, uh, I was studying to be an architect. I was going to college. I wanted to be an architectural engineer. Okay. And uh, I had transferred from one school to another. And uh, in the process of transferring at the time, if you were out of school, there was they were drafting people. Okay. So um, the college that I left before I got into the next college informed the draft board that I was eligible. I was one of the last ones to get drafted. Wow. So I was in the service, uh, went to Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam was part of our guys were coming back. Um, I ended up going to Fort Campbell, Kentucky for my basic training. Um, then was reassigned to Fort Riley, Kansas. Okay. And out there, I didn't have a vehicle. So they to... kept you in the Midwest, pretty much. Yeah. So <laughs> Not a world traveler. <laughs> here I am, stuck in the middle of nowhere with no car. Yeah. So uh, wow. my dad got me this, this 63 Fairlane. Okay. And uh, it was stock when I got it. But uh, is this the moment when you started to cross over into, I mean, what was the moment where you're like, okay, I've owned cars. They've all got, you know, great personal stories to them. But what got you into like more of the customizing them the way you wanted it? Possibly you had mentioned about racing them. What, what was that prompt to where you made that transition? I noticed other guys in the unit had cars. They had more money than I had. They were racing cars. There was a drag strip in the next town over, Manhattan Raceway. And, uh, well, kind of bored with nothing to do, sitting around the barracks all the time, I sure. decided to might as well. So I go to the drag strip and, and try, uh, try my luck at yeah, who's got the fastest car. I, I learned. So were you first there as a visitor? And yeah. that got you going? Right. And then is there a reason why the fair lane led you to the racetrack or not? The need for speed. Okay. There okay. you go. <laughs> All right. All right. I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. You're bored. You want something to do. There's that inner racer we all have inside of us, and you wanted to, at that time in your life, bring them out. Right. Okay. I didn't have any prior knowledge of cars. Um, my college teachers said I always had an eye for detail sure um, and as being an architecture you had to be able to vision focus on visualizing things so um, I took this car and I uh, did things to it that my dad was exceptionally proud of uh, he wouldn't tell me but he would tell other people he said you should see the car my son built so what did you do to it um, I, I changed out the carburetor arm, put headers on it, never done that before, uh, changed the suspension. Um, I went to the local parts, uh, a department store. Okay. Now, it, you see in the picture, it has stripes on the hood. Yes. Okay. The stripes on the hood, back then in the 70s, they had a thing about lace. Okay. <laughs> I went to a, a department store and got this stick-on um, stripping material that had a lace pattern in there. Oh, okay. So rather than have just flat racing stripes, I, I put these on on the car. Oh, very cool. And it was just unique to yes. the time and period. That was the architect of you. There you go. You, you, well, you saw the materials that Not were only that, but if you can see in the picture, every body line, I took white pinstriping. I must have bought 10 rolls of pinstriping. 
and followed every body line with a white and outlined every body line with white pinstriping. And you did this at the barracks while you were? Yeah. Wow. Was there other, a lot of other uh, Vietnam vets that were working on their cars at the time? Not like that. Not like that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, you got the car, you detailed it out, you did some modifications to it. When was it ready to put your pedal to the metal to give it that first shot? Did you do some test runs with it? Or did you just take it to the track as a virgin and say, let's just let her rip? They had the attraction for Manhattan Raceway was a, a guy called Mr. Bardall. Nobody even ever heard of him in your day and age. I sure as hell haven't. He was the draw for the, man, the track for Manhattan Raceway. Okay. Uh, he had a Pontiac Firebird. Okay. And uh, nobody could beat him. Wow. Uh, I mean, I, I go out there and I'd always get my rear end handed to me because I just didn't have the money that these other people were putting into that their cars. That they could cars. put in their cars, sure, 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 sure. So, okay. I decided to get out of racing then after that and uh, I bought a Thunderbird. Okay. Um, there was a story, was this, this car have a story behind it? Is this the same car? Yeah. So tell me about, um, I don't know if you can see it right now, but I'm sure you will. Um, tell me about what happened to that car. <laughs> It looks like it was in a mafia movie. <laughs> so I, I sold the Fairlane to a guy who wanted the car. I, I bought this 63 Thunderbird, and um, it was had a black vinyl roof with a blue paint job. Okay. And one night we had an IG inspection. It means everybody's on post. We're polishing the floors. You're doing everything. Real detail work. Real detail work. It's like the man is coming and, in, and so at we got to right. get her perfect. At that time, we had a, also had a tornado warning. Now, where the post was in Fort Riley, Kansas, was down in a valley. We were surrounded by a ridge. Okay. Um, on top of all the barracks, the barracks at the time were flat-roofed. They had this pea gravel okay, that's uh, on the roofs. So this tornado came through. As you know, Kansas is a tornado alley. Oh, yeah. And uh, it took all this pea gravel off the roof, and it just took all the cars just like somebody had a BB gun. And every single car, uh, it, it just demolished everything. Um, Unfortunately, your car was one of the Over 300 ones. cars were damaged, and, and wow. it, it took out the my windows. My, my paint job looked like, like I said, BBs hit everywhere. I mean, just. So it literally took the roof and all the small stones that were up there and threw them into small mini bullets right. and just let her rip. Garbage cans, anything that wasn't tied down. Wow. So anything that wasn't tied down got blown around. Garbage cans were flying through the air like the Wicked Witch. I mean, it was. Wow. Where were you guys? Did you? Did they? I we were inside the shelter? barracks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you heard, you had to when you were in the barracks, hear the sounds of these stones wailing we, on everything. And I'm sure the first thought of your mind is, let's get over this. I got to get outside and check my car. We're all screaming out the windows. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> We didn't realize that the gravel had come off the roof and hit the cars. We're all watching the stuff blow by. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. And so I guess the winner of the end of that story is the glass guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you are in a local, very small town outside a military post, and they only have one body shop. Yeah. And so you have the government came along and said since you were on duty at the time, they would repair all the vehicles. But... One body shop, 300 cars, what are you going to do? So at the end of the story, so then there's I, the car repaired, right? I, I had to have a new roof put on and a, and a new paint job. And you do it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if the glass repaired and the body's looking good. One of the reasons I liked that car so much was because back then, 
the Thunderbirds had these huge trunks. I could put two foot lockers in my trunk. Okay. Just huge. Wow. You could put six bodies in there. That is insane. That is insane. So, okay, so we go from that car, and then all of a sudden um, you find a lady. I met somebody. Um, we got uh, engaged and got married. Um, she had a, a 64 and a half Mustang convertible. And is that the picture? That's the, that's the car. And you also have in the background? That, that's the other, the Thunderbird. <laughs> yep. There's, so the Thunderbird's still around. <laughs> and you found a woman and you got her a car she likes, and it's a Mustang. And, and this picture of uh, the, when we came back to Wisconsin, the locals saw the car and for a parade, for a 4th of July parade, that's what this picture was taken. They wanted somebody to be able to sit in the car for a 4th of July parade then. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Wow. So, okay, so as you can see now, we're going through a lot of really kind of classic cars with very classic story of a, a gentleman. And, and getting back to when you were an architect. So you went to college to be an architect. You're now in the military. You decide to get into racing, <laughs> right? You found you had the, as much money as you had to put into the car, had fun with it. Along the way, you meet a gal, get her a car. And then um, basically we're at a pivotal point in your life where you know, when you get out of the service, you have to choose a career. So did you become an architect? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that goes with the theme. <laughs> no, I, I, what I, happened? I, um, <laughs> my dad, I, well, I had re-enlisted. I got drafted for the first two years. Okay. Then uh, they said, well, we're going to throw a bunch of money at you if you sign up for another three years. Ah. So I said, well, that sounds pretty good. Okay. Uh, life was good then. So yep. I signed up, took the money, put it in the bank. Um, got another three years. Uh, we spent three months out of every year in Germany on an exercise called Reforger while I was in the service. Okay. Um, and then I wanted to change jobs while I was in, and I wanted to be a, a cop. I wanted to be an MP. Okay. And uh, they said, well, all those positions. What was are the reason for that motivation? I always thought that the cops had a much easier job in the service, <laughs> but I'm going to, I have to explain something. Okay. The time that I was in there, my job description was I was a heavy truck driver. So yeah. I already was in, you were already in heavy, in, in that description. Okay. So, but I never actually drove the heavy trucks. I, I was licensed to take the flatbeds to be a tank retriever. Okay. I drove a couple of tanks. Uh, I drove a, a five-ton, a ten-ton, a deuce and a half. Wow. Um, I, and the uh, commanding officer was so impressed. One day he was in the truck with me, was impressed with. He said, I'm keeping looking at your footwork, but he says, I know it's a stick, but it feels like an automatic. You're just so smooth, you know. Sure. He says, I want you to be my driver. So I spent three years being a com company commander's driver. And... Uh, that was a pretty easy job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go places that most of the other troops didn't go and uh, saw things because I was with all the officers. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, that's but I also finished my degree <laughs> in the service. Um, I got my degree for architecture while I was in the service. Oh, congratulations. Because the military paid for that while I was in. Wow. But I never used it. Okay. And what was the change of heart? Well, my dad said that I have a job for you when you get out, when you decide to, I would like you to take. And since 
they, I couldn't become a cop. I decided to get out. Okay. So and and I, your dad bought you two cars. You owe him. My my dad was well known. Um, he was the treasurer of a trucking association here in Milwaukee. At one point years ago, all the trucking companies had gotten together to be able to better the industry, more fuel efficient, more efficiency, um, operate better, what was the best equipment, you know, everything. Uh, my dad played a big part of that. My dad got to drive a semi around the Indianapolis track oh, in, wow. a, in a semi. Um, and uh, he designed the terminal in Milwaukee where we worked out of for advanced transportation. Sure. And uh, so I came back to work as a parts man. Okay. That was my job. Well, I was looking at all these trucks. One of the people that owned the trucking company said we were going to start a private business out of this business. So they started buying tractors privately and leasing them back to the company. And they said, we want you to drive because you're such a good, knowledgeable guy. And I go, taking officers around. I go, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me think about this. I thought about it. And I said, why should I be putting money in your pocket when I can do the same thing in my pocket? Yeah. So I went out and bought a truck. How cool is and that? And leased them back, Europe. just like they were doing. Well, I ended up with five. Wow. Uh, I mechanically inclined. I, I, the only way I could do this was because I could take care of my own equipment. Sure. And you, you, you were always mechanically inclined. I mean, the, the nice part about that is you realize a big expense in running a trucking business is maintenance, right? Correct. And it sounds like you were disciplined in your life. With My that. dad taught me preventive maintenance. He did. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure you ran a nice, clean fleet. Right. Made a, a, a bucket of money and not being real happy about, uh, or not be, look, being regretful and not being the architect that you went to <laughs> college for. But if you really think about what life is like with tools, right? Yeah. So you knew what your inner strengths were and it's detail. You learned from your dad how important proper maintenance is for everything. And if you really look at it, you said your dad, was he in architecture at all in his life? Yeah, at one point, yeah. Okay. So uh, it's basically a family trend that, that moved forward. And a lot of the successes that I see that happened in your life was that that detail made you always think about your future. Where, sh what is, where is this direction taking me? And am I benefiting from it? Or is there a way to benefit better from the decisions that I have to make? And it sounds like you wanted to take the funnest ride <laughs> with, with, with all of your knowledge and grow. Uh -huh. and grow as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's just a, a wonderful thing. And I take it your wife was all in boot with all of these decisions or? Um, at one point I was looking at uh, the trucking company as being my lifetime retirement. Sure. I, I was gonna pass the business on to my sons. Okay. Um, for the first seven years I owned the business, uh, it was fantastic. Uh, I bought and built a brand new house. I had brand new cars. Sure. It, 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 life was good, but then the government come along and changed the rules, taxes and stuff like that. And then I had a couple drivers that weren't quite so honest. And, sure. Um, Real life stuff, right? Nobody can write those books. It's just kind of the chapter opens and you got to deal with it. So rather than drive my own business, I went to work for a trucking company. Sure. Makes sense. Enough is enough. Laws change, people change, uh, tons of industries that's happened to through the years, through different situations. I totally, totally understand. Mm -hmm. So 
The next picture I have, which I would not imagine being you, <laughs> is this El Camino with the fastback. So tell me, what, what's going on here? This, uh, this is a 70 El Camino. Um, being that I had the trucks, I needed something to haul stuff around, especially semi-tires. Oh, sure. You're not going to put those in the back of your SUV. Got it. Even though I had an Aerostar. Okay. Uh, okay. That, uh, so I, I needed this. Well, I got a little crazy and creative, and uh, it had a 350 engine in it. When I, I, I had searched the countryside while I was driving truck uh, for an El Camino. Okay. And uh, a lot of them rust buckets really bad. I found this one in Kansas, of all places. <laughs> Back oh, to Kansas. Always going home. Yeah. First thing and you said, was it around any tornadoes? There was no rust in it. <laughs> it was brown at the time. Okay. And uh, so it a had, a, like, had a little 350 in it. Okay. Um, so I told the dealer, I said, I you took it for a ride. Some. I said, the motor's awful noisy. Something wrong with it. I said, there's something wrong with the carburetor. It doesn't run right. I'll, I'll take care of that while you come back. I said, I'll be back in maybe a week or two. Come down and get it. So I go back down. My brother-in-law, we go to pick it up. And uh, I go to test drive, so I wanted one more drive. Uh, it, it won't go. Wow. You step on the gas and it won't go. I said, uh, what did you do to this? Yeah. He said, well, I had the local mechanic uh, adjust all the valves because you said they were making noise. I said, yeah, it's, it won't run. Um, wow, he didn't even test it when he got it back or have one of his no, guys do it. Well, what he didn't understand was the fact that that was a solid lifter cam in there and Chevy's they rattled with that solid lifter cam. He took all the valve lash out. So I paid the guy for the car. We got down the road. I didn't get 30 miles down the road and it quit. Started making a noise. Pulled the valve covers off and because of that it bent one of the push rods. Actually the push rod came out. Oh my goodness. And it had bent another one. I go, what do I do? I'm out in the middle of nowhere. So I took a hammer. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Straight, straight, yeah, not yeah. the push rods. What are you gonna do? It's the only thing you can do. Uh, put it back, put it back anywhere. in, tighten it down a little and bit. And it moved. And, and it moved. And I thought, okay, we gotta nurse this thing home. I couldn't do over 50 mile an hour to get it home. Wow. So, found the motor in a junkyard. Put another 350 in. Well, it had a sloppy shifter in it. Oh no. And I'm going down the freeway one day, and I'm gonna, ah, and I missed the gear. And I put my foot to the floor. Yeah. And uh, two rods went out the block. Oh my God. Oh my God. So it sat for a while. Yeah. So does that car have a happy ending? Or was it time to just let her go and find another one? Um, I found a 454, put it in there, had it all dressed up. I had more chrome on there than anything I've ever had. Okay. And uh, put the side pipes on. And uh, my wife said, I'm spending too much time with the car. And she burnt her leg on the side pipes a couple oh, of times. Oh, sure. I remember those. So uh, I got the ultimatum. Well, the thing is, is I mean, you really upgraded that car. I mean, at the time when you put the 454 in it. It was super fast. Yeah. I mean, that is like a, you were back to a drag car again. I yeah. Mean, that car could go local tracks and, and, and have at it. Wow. Okay. So after the El Camino, um, I see another picture here of. 69. A 69 Mustang. Is that a Mach 1? It was. And tell me the story behind this car. What uh, year, what make, what model, and, and what, why did you purchase that car and what did you do with it? 
Well, I, I knew I was mechanically inclined, and uh, so it took me a few years to put the El Camino together. Um, I've always been a Ford man all my life. Okay. I mean, the El Camino, that to me was a service truck. It wasn't really my hot rod. Got it. So I was interested in a uh, 69 Mustang, because at the time they were the hot ticket. Sure. And uh, so I found this one. It was originally painted in what Ford called Indian fire. Ooh. I called it burnt orange. <laughs> okay. Had my own name for it. And uh, the uh, I also called it a Flintstone car. <laughs> Why is that? Well, they, Ford was at the time notorious for their bad sheet metal. Ah. And uh, when you picked up the floor mat under the driver's feet, there was a big hole. Oh, boy. So I ended up fixing the floor and all of that. And What did you do to it? Did you put aluminum underneath the floor? Or, or did you weld in steel? Or I, I welded some steel in back in there because that's where your subframe connector is for the whole front end. Oh, got it. Yeah, okay. that's, that's a major part of the structure. Got it. Um, then I decided to repaint the car, and I got patriotic. I like that. Uh, I, I, did I, you do that work, or did you have somebody paint it for you? I had someone paint the car white, but then I'm the one that painted the stars and stripes on there. Ah. I also got into uh, uh, airbrushing. Oh. On the, the hood, uh, I learned how to airbrush. I had painted a woman walking down the highway with stars and the moon and, and one side and walking down a highway with a bird flying through the air. Uh -huh. I did that with an airbrush on the hood. Um, was that supposed to be an angel? Was that your wife or was that just a fantasy? That or? was just a, I don't know, a lazy day or something. <laughs> <laughs> also something at the time which was very popular, which nowadays people would probably laugh at. I called this, my life at that point was I had nothing but everybody said I had a black cloud over me because I had so many bad things happening to me. So I named this car Hard Times. <laughs> now, this, so, the name on here is in prism tape. And depending oh, on the, the sun, it would reflect different colors. Wow. And that's something you just came up with. You designed it yourself. Right, you right. did the airbrushing and everything. So tell me the history about that car. Did you race it? Did you take it to shows? I went down to Great Lakes. Uh, I, I did race it down there again, not having enough money. Um, the, it, it doesn't show up very well, but in the front, I took the original spoiler like this on my current one and sure. added sheet metal to it. I brought that front spoiler down to this far off the ground. Wow. I extended it way out, thinking that was going to help the aerodynamics. Yep, yep. But when I did take the car to parking lots, couple times. Oh, you rip it off. The first time I bent it, straightened it out. I thought, well, how do I reinforce this? So I put some, not knowing or um, weight-wise, sure. I put some steel bars underneath it. Oh, my God. The next time I went into a parking lot and hit one of those stoppers, and when I let the clutch, my foot off the clutch, yep. the car moved back because <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it pushed back on the car. <laughs> you got too close. You're a man ahead of your time. <laughs> That's where those unbreakable bumpers are, where they get pushed in like three inches and they yeah, come back. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Wow. But it, this gets back to the floor again. So uh, I took that, the motor, and it originally was a 390 with a four-speed. Okay. Uh, it just didn't have enough for me. I bought a 406 out of a 63 Galaxy, a little more power, sure. a little more go, uh, dropped it in there, and uh, 
did some stuff to it, crank rods and cam and all of that. And I got it to where I could lift the left front wheel off. Oh, I even chained the motor down to the frame okay. because there was just way too much torque. Uh, sure. And I wanted all that torque to go to the back end. Right. So I, I chained the motor down and I could get the left front wheel off the ground about four or five inches. Wow. But in the process at that time, I didn't know. Uh, I'm bending that subframe. Oh, as, got it. And uh, I ended up selling the car because it's getting to be a point where I couldn't close the driver's door because now the body started it's to get... warp and shape, we misshape because of the takeoffs. Right. Wow. So what kind of transmission does that car have in it? A top loader, four-speed top loader. Okay, sure. They're pretty much bulletproof. Yep, yep. Because I know whenever you're going to add horsepower to a car, it's only as good as its weakest link. So very well thought out. Was there a way that you could think of as of today that you could have supported up that frame so it didn't have that eventual flex that led to a kind of a warp to the door? Well, I, I did put traction bars under the back end. Okay. Because after I boosted the horsepower, I, I almost tore the rear end out one day. I let the clutch fly and the, the rear end was just, had so much uh, wheel hop, it was unbelievable. So I had to put traction bars on. But back then, something I didn't know about uh, which I have currently on my car subframe connectors, which connects the front to the back. Oh, got it. It would have prevented that Prevented flexing. the warp brake, so it would have absorbed all that. Okay, okay. Wow. So after all of these stories with all of these different types of cars and, and the history of you getting into, um, you know, from deciding what you were going to do when you were in the military for the time that you had that was open, to getting yourself motivated to take a car to a track, find the right car to do it, work on it to get it to that point, being challenged with money, to getting married, to getting your wife a Mustang. Was that what kind of led you in? I know you said you were a big fan of Fords, but was it that Mustang you got your wife that kind of hammered, enamored you to try to get, because one thing we see in your shop is you've got everything Mustang. I mean, before <laughs> you were, and we'll, we'll show it later on the tape, but you've got every book that I can conceivably see, and people will see that later, of Mu the Ford world and Mustangs. I mean, Ford and Shelby and everything is in here. Yeah. You were telling me stuff that, and I've been a Mustang fan my whole life, and I, you've got stuff in here that I didn't even know existed. And you even have trophies to prove it. I mean, I, I'm, it's such a great story that you have about your life with actually you know, having your wife, having a career, um, before this even started getting into cars and continuing it your whole life. And then you were even showing me pictures when you own your own trucking business, you won two big trophies mm -hmm. because they didn't know which truck to give first place to and they were both <laughs> your trucks. <laughs> I, oh, here's the best part Did of Did you story. go to the judge and go, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> Not, and, and, and after the judging for the trophies, here's the best part. Something that I always was in my heart is racing, like sure. we've been talking about. They said, uh, do you think you could race your trucks down the drag strip? <laughs> I said, well, let me think about that. I said, I could, but I, I go, wait a minute. These are work trucks. These are trucks that go down the road every day. This sure. is not something that's just parked in a storehouse somewhere and just for show. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, and I told my, other, my driver, I said, well, try not to break anything. <laughs> So we get down, get on the drag strip, and we're revving them up, and this uh, black smoke is oh coming out, and we go imagine. down the quarter mile. Believe it or not, I, I finished the quarter quarter mile in 25 seconds flat. Holy cow! Yeah, I didn't start out in low gear. I had uh, 
a. Uh, Did you practice, or was this no, just no, kind of like first you thought out how you were going to do it and it worked? I, I wow. knew it wasn't going to be any good to take off in low gear, so I, yeah. I had taken off in one of the high gears. Okay. No damage to the truck? No, no. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> so we will show you pictures because it's amazing. And then you had a story uh, when you had your semi when you, were, when you were touring through Indiana, was it? Ohio. Or Ohio? Yeah. So could you share that story with us? Well, I, I, one of, every vehicle I ever owned, I drove first and, and updated everything. And uh, at the time, uh, a company uh, had strip lights. And, uh, and what year was this about? About 72. Okay, okay. And, uh, no, I'm sorry, 82, 82. Okay, so it's before LEDs and all the fancy yeah. stuff they have today, but you found a way. <laughs> I, I, I was always one for lights. I always thought lights were great. And I saw other guys going down the road, had lights on their trucks. I had over 300 lights on this particular tractor. They were everywhere. <laughs> I had, but I, I didn't want them to just stick out so in the daytime when they're not functioning, they'd stick out like a sore thumb and go, sure. So anyway, I tried to hide all the lights. And this particular truck, I, I hid the strip lights in the paint job. Um, and then at night, I turned the lights on, and that was great. And people would tell me, I can see you coming for miles. You know, so <laughs> I believe lights. it. And uh, one weekend, I decided uh, I want to be a little different. So uh, I put a couple of switches in and a couple of flashers. Okay. And uh, that particular night, I went out, and uh, I got on, on the Ohio Turnpike, and... Uh, Guys are talking about the lights. I said, hey, I got one more thing. Let me show you. I flipped the switches. Half the lights on one half of the truck would go on. The other half of the truck, the lights would go off. So they go off and on, off and on, rotating, rotating. Wow. An Ohio State Trooper didn't like that idea. Oh. He pulled me over. He says, you're not an emergency vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't too happy. Oh, man. That had to be a gut wrencher, though, right? You're entertaining people. Everybody's finding joy in what you're doing. And somebody's by the book. Thank you, right? Right. Oh, my goodness. And, and so it sounds like almost everything mechanical that you touch, you've always put your signature on it one way or another. Everybody does. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just it, it's amazing how it's not only about cars. It's also about the, the career that you made for yourself. Um, and now, after all of this story, we finally get to the Mach 1. I mean, the the you will you will see, we will show you how a person took a car that he found that he enjoyed. He took the history of the car and personified it. So the lesson learned here is, when you find a car, you want as much record keeping of that car as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. You want to do your work when you're finding the right car. And it sounds like this Mustang was the perfect ticket for a guy who's detailed like yourself. Can you tell me about the history of the car? Uh, where, where it, from its beginning, you were telling me a story of <laughs> where it was, where it transitioned to finally get in your hands. And then what I'd like you to do is tell us about the value of the car. So what you invested in the car, but because of the detail and the extra work you did, the value of the car that's certified today, so that other people that are into classic cars or into custom cars can learn from your adventure that what they might be sitting on if they did a little extra work, they could increase the value of the car thousands and thousands of dollars. So could you share that with me? I, I was looking for a 69 Mustang in particular because I told my wife uh, that I, could, I wanted to build one more car before I couldn't get around to doing things. I had one more build in my system 
So I started looking online, and um, in just before Thanksgiving one year, I uh, found a 69 Mustang Mach 1 with a 428 with a four-speed. Beautiful. And uh, it was sitting on a dealer's lot, and I'm thinking, well, people that know Mustangs, they're not going to drive this car in the wintertime. Right. So I told the wife, I says, uh, I'll buy this car come springtime. I'll probably March or February uh, buy the car. So just before Christmas of that year, I said, I'm, I'm going to look at the car one more time because I just want to fantasize about this car. And right. I'm going to oh. buy, you know, and I go to look and it's gone. It was sold. Wow. Uh, so then I found That had that to be a real kick in the I box. was really ticked. Wow. Okay. So then I go online and I go on eBay. And eBay had the exact identical car, color, interior, training motor. I thought, okay, I'm going to start bidding on this thing. I started bidding on this thing, bidding and bidding. We're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We got up to 83000 on eBay for this car. And I said, no, you can have it. I, I don't yeah. have pockets like that. Right, right, right. So I backed off. Now, now I'm really ticked off. Oh, my God. I can imagine. Two cars I got right out from under me, you know. Wow. So, uh, and you literally saw your baby sitting there. It was all about timing. <laughs> That's what I wanted. And other company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I happened to find this particular car on a website. Um, pictures, there were like 50 pictures of it, and there was a little video of it running around. And I told the wife, I said, I don't care what it costs. I said, I'm going to get this car because I'm not going to have another one sold out from under me. Sure. So uh, I put money down on the car purchased the car, got it here, and the day they delivered, it was still snowing. I mean, we had snow out here. It got delivered in January. Wow. Um, it didn't start when we got it. I had to push it off the trailer. Oh, I man. thought, this, this is bad omen, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. You went through that black period of your so life. With I, that. I, I, trying to figure out why it won't start, I opened up the hood, and I'm checking the cables to see whether it was, and the, the cable is right in my hand. The battery cable came out of the terminal that was attached to the battery. Well, that would make a reason. So, <laughs> but supposedly this was all redone before they sent the car to me. Oh, okay. Um, That's a little suspect. Yeah. Unless for transportation there was a law that said that you had to have the battery disconnected. If it's not part of the moving unit, I have no clue. Uh, anyway, so um, did you find I, out I get that the car, story? but the car sat for a couple of months waiting for the snow to, I didn't have a chance to do anything with it. Um, come springtime, I took the car out finally, and uh, the transmission just ain't right. Oh, oh it, it, I can't kick it down, and uh, it, it, it shifts. I mean, it just oh, yeah. snaps your neck. Yeah. I, I, I I'm not going to do this. Um, so I took it to a local uh, transmission shop, a guy that specializes in race cars and stuff, and uh, he fixed it. Cost me $800. Did he say what the cost was? He said what uh, somebody had taken a clutch, the clutch pack out of the, the spring pack out of the clutches. So that piston in there was going Wham. Just yeah. back and forth, was flying in there. He said was eventually there? that transmission would have been no good. Okay. They drilled some holes in it for more pressure. Um, Did he give any rationale why somebody would do that? No. Okay. Oh, trying to make a race car out of it. Okay. Yeah. So I called the dealer up. I said, hey, um, 
I got a problem with this transmission. I said, I haven't been able to drive the car till now. I just had it fixed. Uh, I said, you know, this is, to me, this is false advertising. And uh, at first, he didn't want to talk to me. I called him back. I said, well, you know, I have a problem here. I, this, we're going to fix this. So he sent me the bill. I sent him the bill. He paid for it. So I wow. had the transmission fixed. Reputable guy. Yeah. No, that's very cool. So, um, so now you've got the car basically where you want it now. Transmission's fixed. Engine works. You know, you got it wasn't the ideally what I wanted. I wanted a four-speed mm -hmm. with the big block, but it had an automatic. So that's what I settled for. Okay. Okay. So it, it's one of the most beautiful Mach 1s I've ever seen for a 69. And the documentation you have for it is impeccable. So can you tell us you know, kind of an idea of um, what you originally paid for the car? And let's just say you didn't do all your work getting all the documents for it, what the car would have been worth without that extra work and what it's worth today. So viewers can kind of get a grip on what's really going on in the marketplace for people that are are looking to benefit at the end of the day with the value of their cars that they invest in? That particular car, uh, at the time, they were going between forty, fifty-five thousand. Okay. Um, in good shape. Okay. Depending on the shape. Uh, after I got it, I stuck about fifteen thousand into it. Okay. Uh, I should go back to the fact that when I got it, the car had been through a full rotisserie. Uh, for those that don't understand what a full rotisserie is, they completely take the car apart. And, I mean, right down all the nuts and bolts. Sure. The car is put on a spit just like a barbecue. And uh, they can turn the car upside down. And oh, wow. So there, I didn't even realize that that was such a <laughs> realistic That's thing. what a rotisserie is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And... Uh, so uh, they, they do everything, set it back to factory, just like the day it come out of the factory. Okay. So it's, it's got uh, correct paint markings underneath there, uh, set up correctly, got the paint the way. And Ford, in some places, even oversprayed. It's got overspray in the right places. Okay. So it, it's set up like the day it uh, came from the factory. I participated in one show in Minnesota for a concourse correct. And what that is is uh, called the uh, MCA, Mustang Club of America. Okay. They go car shows all over the country and all Mustangs that are authenticated. So anyway, what, what they do is they, they uh, MCA clubs goes all over the country with shows. Okay. Uh, every month or somewhere. Um, sometimes they participate with local car shows. And uh, they inspect your car for authenticity. Uh, the right bolts, if you use the right bolts, they can tell whether you have, if they're in the right place, the paint jobs, the spray. Um, there are, if I remember correct, 30 different classes, levels of uh, concourse correct. Got it. Um, once you get up into the top five classes, which is something, uh, it brings, each level brings a different value to the car. It becomes more valuable. Okay. Uh, in the top levels, they actually at these car shows put the cars up on hoists, and they go underneath the car and look at the exhaust system, the shocks, wow. everything. Very you got the right markings and, and all of that. And how did this car fare? I got a gold star for the first showing. So congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. So the fifteen thousand dollars you invested. So let's just ballpark it. So. 
Um, your car, uh, let's say you bought it for 50 grand. You put 15, it's at 65, right? You bought the car in, uh, what year did you purchase this car? Uh, 17. Okay. So this is your, basically, it, at least what your expectations are right now, the last big endeavor um, of your story with a car, because it's so beautiful. I, it's made to last the lifetime. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I, I mean, when I saw you at the car show, that your Mustang just drew me like a magnet to it. I'm like, I've got to get the story behind this car. And usually when I walk up to people and I ask them that, uh, and they say, well, you know, I've got a bunch of money. I, I, I just went out and paid cash for it, so I just go to car shows. That's not a story to me. I want the story of a person who was really into cars, who wrenched with their dads or had a family interest or brothers or friends or the stories behind going to the car shows and meeting the community and the life that leads from there. Um, those are stories. Those are stories that impact people's lives and bring our community closer together. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you've definitely achieved quite a story right? <laughs> with a lot of humor in between. Um, and with this particular car now, you said you had it certified. How did that work recently? Um, I wrote to Ford and uh, uh, to verify that the car is a true Mach 1 through their registry. They have a Ford registry of every car they've ever built. Okay. They go through the VIN number. They check out everything that's there. There's a sticker that they send you to put on the car. I also have a certificate authorized by Ford that says, yes, this is a genuine Ford built Mach 1. Wow. This car originally came out of the San Jose plant in California, was sold to a Ford dealer in Boise, Idaho. Uh, the car was born on November 1st of 68, sold in uh, January of 69. I don't know how long the original owner had it. Um, he sold it to a gentleman down in Louisville, Kentucky, which was a car collector. Where he saw the car, I have no idea. Sure. Uh, this guy had the car for 22 years. Uh, he was a car collector. He has a whole warehouse full of, like a Jay Leno. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like Jay Leno. This car is so pristine. It's like he had this big garage, and it just sat there for people to just look at it with awe. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And then he sold it. Uh, he started sticking some money into it for whatever purpose, I don't know. Um, sold it to a dealer out of Detroit or Plymouth, Michigan. And this guy advertises nothing but high-performance cars, Chevelles, Mustangs, Cobras. Uh, you look on his website, he claims to have like 300 hot rods. Uh, they're all double-stacked in his showroom. Wow. And that's where I bought the car from, sight unseen. Got thinking, it. well, this has got to be a good guy, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'll do that again. <laughs> Every car I've ever owned in my life, I've always test-driven. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> well, we live and we learn, right? Right. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> but what a great ending for this car. Uh -huh. I mean, it's in the right hands. And after it got appraised, what did they appraise it at? Uh, I had it. I've, it's been appraised several years in a row. Uh, not last year, but the year before, it was appraised at 75.9. Okay. This year, back in February, it was appraised at 117. Um, part of that is the documentation. I, I have the window sticker, the warranty card, the Marty report. Um, oh, just about all the 
every documentation that you can for originality for a car. The only thing I'm missing is the bill sheet. What Ford used to do is, as they went down the factory line, they had a bill sheet, how this car was supposed Got to be it. put together. Sure. And the bill sheet was usually put underneath the back seat. The other Mustang I had, the burnt orange one, yeah. it, it was underneath the back seat. Oh, wow. Um, I went to look for it. Somebody else had already snatched it, so I, it. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah, is that where they initial off as it's going through the floor? Right. Yeah, that would be the factory workers saying, Hot, this is I've my, got the, this is the, the window stickers. If you look at the, our factory window stickers are still in there in the windshield. Wow. As it went down the line, they had little stickers they put on each oh, inspection sure. point. Oh, sure, each complete, sure. Wow, so all of that adds up to a better valued car at the end correct. of the day, correct? So what's your, what's your plan? I mean, you know, neither one of us are getting any younger. <laughs> <laughs> Now I just want to enjoy it. Exactly. Well, that's wonderful. So you are piling up a few miles on that car? Well, I'll put it, put it this way. When I bought it, it had 52,000 miles on it. Okay. Uh, I got 61,000 on it now. Oh, okay. So it's baby, baby steps. There, there's also something I should say about this car. Sure. Um, this particular car I chose over, in fact, when the guy, when I talked to the dealer, he said, well, I have another one like this uh, with the, I said, no, I want this one. But he explained to me why. I said, well, number one, the stock motor in that Mustang at that time was a 351. That was the base motor. For $100 more, $99, you could get the 390. Wow. For another $100 over that, you got the 428. So for $200 oh more, my God. back yeah. then, you got a big motor. That's huge. So people would go from the little motor to the big block. Why go in between? Right. So this has the in-between. Yep. That's more value. They're, they're very rare. It's hard to find a 390 in a Mustang. Yep. Everybody's got the 420. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time I was introduced to a 390 was, was this car. The other thing that's rare is the interior. It has a white interior. 90% of your Mustangs were black inside. I have seen a green interior. And we all know what it's like to heat it, up your pants when you got shorts oh, on. They in a are Mustang. so hot without air conditioning. <laughs> oh. It's like going right on a frying pan with your legs. Yep. Oh man, open the door. <laughs> yeah. They were very limited. There were like five colors interior, but 90% of them were black inside. And then yeah. because of the black interior to match that, they had the black stripe on the outside. Sure. This has gold striping on it, and it's reflective. Uh, so those three things make this uh, a very unique car. A unique car. Well, thank you so much today for sharing your story with me. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience about your life, or your cars, your anything that you might have think that we could have forgotten or well, passed up? I, I've got one more Mustang here. Oh, that, that's right. That's right. I, I tell us about the Lamborghini Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought a. Uh, 63 Mustang, um, which had uh, a V6 in it, a 3.8. Okay. Um, <laughs> at the time I bought it, it was plain Jane. It was happy. It would get up and go for what it was. Sure. I, uh, I'm never happy or satisfied with leaving things alone. Okay. And was this the Mustang after your wife's Mustang that you bought her when correct. you got married? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is Mustang number two. Yep, correct. Um, there was nothing on it. It was a plain Jane. At the time, um, Tim... Can you show that to the, to the audience? Tim, the tool man, Taylor, I used to watch Tool Time oh, all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah, great show. He got into racing, and he was part of a race team with the Mustang Cobra R. Um, 
there's only a couple of years where they made a Mustang Cobra R, uh, 95 and 2000. Uh, in 2000, they made 300. Wow. And they were all painted red. There was, the, there, there was no interior. They were stripped out, no heater, no radio, no nothing. So it was like a production run. Everybody it was just strictly red, a race yeah. car. You couldn't put them on the, on the street. Got it. Um, they came with all kinds of body graphics and uh, ground effects and stuff. I was so enthralled with that. So that's what I yeah. did to this car. I put the Cobra <laughs> R wing on, the Cobra R front end. It's freaking awesome. Um, and then, of course, put bigger tires on there. And uh, about that time, that was in 2009, uh, I started going to the EAA. Okay. And Carol Shelby was there. Um, and six executives from the Ford Motor Company were there for that show. And they all came around and looked at all these Mustangs to see all these Mustangs sitting in the, uh, at the airport there at the EAA. And Carol liked my car so much, he gave me a trophy, but it's kind of got a funny name. And I, I, it's called the Etzel Trophy. <laughs> and we all know what Etzel was, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> he, because he says he loved the scissor doors. He called them scissor doors. Okay. I call them Lambo doors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Either way works. <laughs> I, I put a supercharger on this thing. Um, who did the who, who hung the door on? Who uh, did I, the custom work on that? I, I I did that. Did you really? Yeah. That took some engineering to do. Well, even the the supercharger took me uh, three days of plumbing, wow. taking the whole front end off the car to put that on. I'd never done anything like yeah, that before. Yeah, that's amazing work. I mean, that really really is, especially. You know, even on the door side, to make that door close properly and open properly is, is mastery. I mean, well, it really is. It, it's what they call a two-stage door. Okay. Um, so you could, the, the original doors would open like this, you know, where you could really, well, once these, I should explain how this happened. So I ordered these hinges. They're basically just hinges. Wow. UPS comes to me. He's holding this big box. He's walking up. He's boy, this is really heavy. <laughs> and what is he delivering that can be? It's in a box like about this and about like this and about like this. And go, sure. What the heck is in there? I open up. It's these brackets. Now, at the time, this kit that to put these doors on, uh, I, there was uh, three different um, systems, uh, cutting fenders, cutting doors, Welding this, welding that. I'm not much of, I've never been a torch man. Okay. I've never welded. Okay. I wanted something basically just bolt on. Yep. Drill it, the holes and bolt it in. This was guaranteed bolt on. It would just, it would replace the original brackets. All you had to do was wow. bolt it on. Wow. Okay. Um, but the, uh, the catch to this is that, and it also, in the instructions, it said eight hours. Now, these brackets to go on the doorposts, were almost an inch thick to support that door weight. Wow. Wow. And you don't know how heavy those doors are until you take them off. I was going to say, how did you, did you have a lift, like an engine lift to lift the door? How did you? A cradle. A cradle, okay. Yeah, because the there's no other way to do it. They, they don't explain that. In the instructions, it says eight hours to do it. Well, maybe eight hours in a body shop. Right, right. And then you've got to come up with the mechanisms to lift the door, set it right, put the brackets on, marry the two together, and then slowly close it to make sure nothing's gonna get damaged. I have another part of the story that's kind of funny. Sure, sure, sure. 
So there's a big shock that comes in here. So when you open the door, it holds the door. It, it helps to support the door. Okay. These are made in Germany. I forgot what. Are they like struts? Like a strut, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so I started looking this up because I've never done this before. I, what's going to hold this door? Right. I, I, I'm curious. So I started looking up. People were complaining about these struts. Um, the door lasted for about a year, and then I go to pull the door up, and it, it goes down all by itself. Well, thank God, because usually when a strut goes, it goes. Yeah. So I called up the place I was buying. I says, what kind of struts are these? Are, is there any warranty on this, or what, what's going on? He says, no, you've got the Generation 2, the improved version. Okay. Okay, no big deal. Get them, get the doors on. I, I, the brackets come before the doors. I'm looking at this, because I don't trust anybody. I'm looking at the shock. I put it in a bench vise. I try to move it. Okay. It don't move. Wow. I'm getting on it. I'm standing on it. I'm putting all my weight. And it's still And it's move. not budging. I called up these people. I said, these shocks are broke. They don't work. He said, did you put them on the car? I said, no, I don't have money. Why would I put them on if they don't work? Right. He said, Call me after you put them on if they don't work. So that's how strong those things are, huh? I couldn't budget. Wow. <coughs> wow. I, can you imagine? You're, you're thinking. Oh, my God. Yeah, it works. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. <laughs> and, and especially yourself. You pre-tested it before yeah. you put it on there to say, if this doesn't work, why go through all the work, right? right. So your tests proved that it seemed that they were stuck. Right. Something was broke internally. But the guy who knew the thing said, this guy's got something coming his way. Because <laughs> when he puts it on, he's going to realize just how much weight mm -hmm. is on that damn thing. I, I did a lot to make this a race car. I, I put in uh, five-point, uh, I put in uh, Recaro seats. Sure. I had five-point harness in there. Uh, yeah, I lightened up the car. Uh, I took the... How did you lighten it up? I put an aluminum front end underneath it. Oh, okay. Uh, a different K-member. So you were dead serious about I, this I had car. A, I, I took the bell housing up, aluminum bell housing, aluminum clutch, aluminum flywheel, aluminum drive shaft, dropped a whole bunch of weight out of the car, took the rear seat out, um, took the rear end, uh, made the rear end a posi rear end. Wow. Um, took the spare tire out. I, I mean, I was serious about getting down the road. And yeah. then with that supercharger on there, I mean, it... it it would go. It had to light up really well. Yeah. So, and this was really the, the your own mental dream car in this line of vehicles because right. you did a lot of really cool modifications to make it to what your race car would be in an existing automobile. And this particular car... Um, I used a lot of parts from UPR because I wanted to dress stuff up. It had a lot sure. of billet inside, a little detail. And the, if you look at the gas door on the side oh, yeah. of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it has a running pony on there. Oh, how cool is that? Ford went after UPR. I don't know if I should say this. Ford went after UPR and said, you cannot produce those anymore because that's our logo. I got the very last door with the running Mustang on it. Wow. Yeah, that's really, really cool. That's a nice touch. So when you got the car to when it was finished to your specs, where you were just enjoying it, how much money did you have to put into that car? I, Do you think? I originally bought that car for 
15,000. And, and I had almost 33,000 I stuck into it. Okay. And everybody told me I was foolish. I, I so what, what prompted you to sell the car? I mean, it's a beautiful, that would be like one of those. That was another ultimatum. Oh, was it? Because uh, that's like, that one you could take, to, did you take that to car shows or race it or anything? Or is this I, just your personal That's what all that up there is um, from the, uh, all the different car shows I went to. Uh, everywhere I went, the thing about that car with the Procharger Supercharger on there, I couldn't, it, it whistled everywhere. Everybody knew there was something special underneath the hood. Sure. I had that for, oh, God, uh, I sold it last year. Oh. So from 2004 till last year. God, I wish I met you last year. That would have been a fun car to, oh, to see. Oh, that was it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. had the two of them together. Um, my wife said, "Why is that car always sitting there?" Because once I got the the Mach One, I yeah. spent all my time working on that. Sure. And uh, she did. It's foolish. We're paying insurance and that on that car, and it's just sitting here. Yeah. Although every time I got into it, it just brought back constant memories. Oh yeah. I, I mean, technically, this for personally working on a vehicle, this is your baby, wouldn't you say? It was, yeah. I mean, this was your baby. And what you did is when you found this one, you kept it traditional factory stock. That's exactly and right. So you did the yin and the yang. The, the you difference. You lived the best of both the worlds. Right. And that, that's, a really, that's really a great story and a tribute to yourself. Correct. It had to be tough getting rid of it. Uh, I didn't want to. Yeah. I know, the, I know where the car is. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, but was it purchased by a local guy or? It's, it's, the car is in Janesville. Okay. Um, the couple that bought the car, they had, they had a Shelby pickup truck. Oh, okay. So they're into, into that. So it's in good hands. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, yeah. That, that's almost the kind of car where you want to interview the owners before you even sell it to them. Yeah, just exactly. Just to make sure she has a good uh, we, home, We right? did, we did. <laughs> and, and that co color on there is unique. It's called uh, dark shadow gray. Oh, it's beautiful. Ford uh, stopped making that color. Well, it, b between the, the coloration and what you did with this car and the pure Ford beauty of that 69, I mean, that's been quite a ride with Ford. It really has been with the Mustang line. I had a photographer at one car show early on, took pictures of it, and he was able to, I have hanging on a wall, um, impose the car like you're looking at it like the door is down and then it also imposed it so like the door is up so in the photograph and you can look at the car either way wow that is really really yeah. cool that's really really cool that was was it a friend of yours that did it or uh just a, a photographer that was going around the car shows just photographing cars oh got it yeah. okay well anything else that you'd like to share with us i i, I mean you've had quite a life <laughs> Quite a journey. Oh my God! I mean, this is my last baby, and I think what a way to what a way to end it. I mean, you've found perfection. There'll be tons of pictures that we will put up, and I'm sure our viewers will enjoy the beauty of that car and your history and behind that particular car, as well as all these other ones during your journey. It's been quite a life. Everybody's got different things that they have, different hobbies, different interests, and yours has always led you into the, you know, going to car shows. You're interested in, in motors. Uh, it sounds like a lot of this kind of came from your dad, um, supporting you and helping you through the through the years, and then you kind of picking up the ball and running with it. I always uh, something when I started in the service, 
started working on one car and figured out I could do this stuff and I could do tune-ups. Uh, a couple guys saw me working on my car and uh, it got to where um, guy asked me, he says, hey, can you tune up my car? And I said, well, yeah, I'll try. My dad had given me a sun kit. They don't even know what that is today. Yeah, what, you, is this, what I don't it, know. It was a metal box about so wide, about so deep and like that. Okay. And inside there were four handheld gauges that you could hook to your car. They were all chrome-plated and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the gauges were specific to different things. Back then, you had to set your dwell in RPM. Yeah, you know um, what? Now that you mention it, I've got a couple of those <coughs> that I got from my brother who got it from my father. It had an amp gauge in there. It yeah. had a battery tester. It, it I forgot what the fourth one was, but that's what every, this fancy yeah. gauge, I, I could set all can work on cars. That's right. You look for the white line when you're doing the timing of it. To see, <laughs> the, yeah. the timing light. Yeah, yeah that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. So Boy. I got I got good with that. It, it while I was in the service, when the word got out that I was, I was a ten dollar man. So for ten bucks, you for get ten bucks, up and going. You buy the parts for ten bucks. I'll do whatever you want. I do brake jobs for ten bucks. Wow. You go buy the brake parts, and I, I had a guy that wanted to go out to New York from Kansas. He said I I want to make sure my car will make the trip. So. I want you to go over the whole car. I went over the whole car, went out. He went home, came back, and he says, you know, man, I felt safe in my car. Thank you. I had I had a driveway full of cars because guys, word got out that I was good. Yeah, no, that's a, that's quite a tribute to yourself, and what a selfless thing to do. You know, you didn't rape anybody for money. No, $10. And for yourself, it was getting them. You took it to heart. That I think today's rate 100 and a quarter, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that times have changed, haven't they? <laughs> I mean, in your day, when you want to find a part, you had a dig, right? There was a phone, and there were, who do you know, and what community can I join to try to get this part? Uh -huh. Nowadays, you go open up your flip phone, and you just browse the web or yeah. go, to your you'll go to your communities and find parts in, in minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's actually such a wonderful world for young people if they get interested into this world because it's so much quicker, better, faster for them to obtain parts and things that they're looking for and how-to videos, there's a million of them out there. But in a lot of ways, I'm gonna be honest with you, Randy. Yeah. Um, they, they are, uh, this, is, this is what's called old school. This is, this is modern. This yes. is old school. Correct. There's no computer in here. You control the car. You do, you, you do the work. In here, you plug in a computer to a computer and, oh, it says, well, you got this bad, that bad. And, and it's just a plug and play. Got it. Versus, there you actually have to do the work. Right. Nope. Totally makes sense. So it, it's the mechanics back then, you had to be knowledgeable. Here is more or less what you said with your phone. Whatever the reader is, yeah. Yeah, you can go on eBay. Okay, this is what the part that I needed based on what my computer chip read. No, totally get it. Totally get it. So what do you think is better? I like old school. Uh, I like being in control. I, I don't like somebody telling me that, hey, down the road, I'm going to be able to control your car because you have a computer. Okay. And I can do what I want with it. Or you're forced to, to go into a garage that has a $5,000 machine that plugs into the computer that says, I can tell you what's wrong with your car for $100. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's the modern world, right? Capitalism <laughs> at its best. They don't want you working on right, your car. Right, right. Eliminate the, the guy, the self-to-doer, have her come to the shop. Right. Because you can't do it on your own because you don't want to invest $15,000 for a machine that's going to 
tell you exactly <laughs> what's wrong with your car. No, I, I totally understand. Lesson learned. Lesson mm -hmm. learned. But um, as looking at the, the whole overview of what we've been through today, um, I haven't laughed at like this in, in, a, in a while. <laughs> I mean, it's been quite an adventure. And, and you're such a, a cool guy to be around because you have such a rich history of, of, of your past. I mean, it all started with a, a 1960 Corvair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thank God for Dad, right? Got you down the road. He, you, you helped him. He helped you. Uh -huh. um, and the demise of the car and then going into the military. And that's when I think you really bridged into, uh, you know, wanting to get that itch for racing got you interested in learning how to do tune-ups and all different types of things with your kit and then helping others. And then from there, that enrichness just grew into different cars and it led you into the Mustang world. And to see, you know, you went to the El Camino because it was a need for your company, mm -hmm. you know, and then we saw the dark times with some of your cars that you went through, but that didn't stop you. That just made you better, I think. And, it, it would, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think, I think, what got me started into cars was fantasizing about beating Mr. Bardall. Okay, back in, back in the uh, day. A low, uh, a, a schmuck like me trying to beat a professional. Okay, so the competitive side of you. Okay, no, that's that's cool. And, and But that really never died then, correct? I mean, correct. that just led you into your passion that much deeper and deeper. So is there anything that you can tell us that you feel um, what we're trying to do in our community is not only to bring the car community from custom cars to classic cars to uh you know bigfoot and the big the big trucks um and then you know it, at motor mania we have the burnout pits and the racetracks and we're, we're trying to bring the whole family together mm -hmm. and and by motor mania media we're going out there to get the stories behind the stories because we want people to be enriched we want you to go to our next show for example and have people that have seen this show come up to you and really appreciate and they probably have memories that they would like to share or things that they feel you could help them with um, and that's really bringing community together for the long term and we're hoping that the younger generation is going to catch on to how important this is it keeps people productive in good ways right there's so many self-destructive things people are doing today mm -hmm. to themselves they're making choices that don't grow them as a human being but destruct themselves and I think could you say that the car community for yourself has been a big plus in your life as far as what you do and how you do it keeps you out of trouble and, and leads you to good destinations? Well, they, they call us gearheads. Uh, th that is a big part of the uh, uh, belonging to muscle cars, but not necessarily muscle cars. Uh, there's all different types. Uh, People are into foreign cars. I, I mean, you're into old age, uh, 1930s, uh, and everybody shares that information. I mean, you, you walk up to somebody and they ask you something, hey, uh, could you tell me, uh, everybody's helpful, you know? And, and, and then like with my car, I, I don't know how many guys I've had come up to me and say, hey, I had a car like that back then. And, and if, if everybody had a car back then, like, there'd be like a million, Mustangs right. out yeah. there. I, I mean, <laughs> it brings back memories, and everybody's talking about that, and and that's what the stories that everybody wants to share. Yeah, and, and it seems it brings a lot of smiles. Mm -hmm. In a in a world that we live in today, people need to smile more. People need to share stories, positive stories of their life, and to be helpful to others. And really, I appreciate the time. Oh, thank thank you. you for helping. I thank our you community. for coming over. Oh, my, our pleasure. It's our pleasure.
we're set.